We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 102. It's the Happy Halloween edition. Scott, I know you've got to get this done quickly because you said you're going to have trick-or-treaters rolling through your neighborhood. The doorbell might be ringing off the hook in the next 15 to 20 minutes, so we may have some uh, some soundtrack along with the show. But yeah, the uh, there's a lot of kids in this neighborhood, so the fact is is that my wife is downstairs with battling with Maddie trying to get outside to see these kids. It's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of commotion going on down there. It was funny. Uh, people around 3.30 this afternoon in my office, I heard them, oh, I got to go home. My kids want to go trick-or-treating. And it was the first time in my life that I was actually envious of people with kids. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of nonsense, though. I mean, what time do you actually go trick-or-treating? You got to wait for it to get dark out, a yeah. at least at least to dusk. You, it's, I feel like it was, it's kind of a jip when I see people out there with their kids in the daylight. Like, it's just not the full... You need the full experience. I remember going after dinner when I was a kid, it was usually around like 7.30 we would go out. Um, so it was dark by then, obviously. But you didn't want to roll up to people's houses at 6 o'clock because they might be eating dinner and that's kind of rude. Right. And it's a different it's a different era and time now with trick-or-treaters because I can tell you something that they do in my neighborhood that I've never seen before. And my nieces and nephews are, are have done also in their elementary schools. They do like this trunk or treat, which I think is a complete crack of shit. Wait, wait, what is it? Trunk? 
trunk or treat. They do it with their schools. So they go to like a parking lot and they, you know, I don't, I think most of them is for, this is for like the really young kids. And a lot of people, if their parents are legit, it's not in place of trick or treating, but in addition to that, they go around and they, they like decorate their trunks and the ki- kids go around to the trunks. That's a thing. And then the other thing is that that's, that's become a thing in my neighborhood. Everybody goes out to uh, mostly they go out to the end of their driveway and like hang out in, with in their chairs. Some people bring out like a little fire pit and like everybody in the neighborhood kind of hangs out and the See, kids go around rather than going up to the house. They go up to, they go to the end of the driveway. You can get away with that in Virginia beach in October. You're not getting away with that in the Northeast. No. Why in October? It's not that bad. Yeah. I mean, That's the whole point. It's pretty That's cold the whole point. People bring, It's pretty I mean, cold it's, tonight. It's like, it's like 45 degrees right now here and people are out there with their like fire pits and going, yeah, I mean, it gets, it still gets cold, but the, uh, I don't know. It's, I've never seen anything like that. It definitely, uh, when I was in North Jersey, that never, ever happened. So, um, who knows? And I also saw you dressed up Maddie, like Joe Torrey, the Maddie's sad face bears a drastic uh, resemblance to Joe Torrey's face. That said, that droopy puppy dog face. It was serious. It was, she was, she was, she was in the moment. She hit it perfectly. It was, I was not expecting to actually get it done. I was like, I'm going to give this like two minutes of my time. And if I can get this stupid jacket on her and put this stupid hat on her head and it'll actually work, then it'd be a funny picture. I and tweeted, it actually worked. I tweeted, uh, retweeted it from Yankees podcast. And I said, hopefully Scott Proctor doesn't see this because he's going to have PTSD. Yeah, my wife actually uh, took it and she put a side by side picture of Joe Torre that is scaringly resemble like very close. <laughs> nice. I'll, I'll have to send that out. out. Yeah, it's pretty good. You should tweet that. I will. Um, so I want to thank the the listeners of the podcast for reviewing the show on iTunes and uh, or wherever you may be listening. I know um, I was talking to somebody on Twitter who said he doesn't listen in iTunes, he listens in Google Play. So, and I don't have, I don't, I don't even never been in the Google Play platform. I'm sure there's a whole rating and reviewing system there too. But what I think we want to do going forward is uh, if you guys give us a five-star review and write a review and it's funny or it's it's got a good story or it's, it's a good take or somehow entertains us in the slightest, we're going to give you a little shout out on the podcast. Um, because again, I can't stress it enough how much this helps the show. Um, I, I, if you just search Yankees in the podcast app, uh, we are on the first page, but we are still behind some, some key podcasts. Uh, one of them works for the New York daily news. And I want to, I want to tackle that. I want to get that number one spot And the more ratings and reviews we get, the, the better we can move up those ranks. So, uh, let's read a couple of these. This, uh, first one is from, uh, Ali STN and uh, he or she says, if you're a Yankees fan and have been wondering what you're going to listen to Monday mornings, or in this case, Tuesday, wonder no more. This show made me a ref Snyder fan and a judge evangelist, a Headley hater and an Ellsbury truthist still love Tanaka and Avaldi. He'll come back from the ashes. Mark my words. And I love that. I thought the Ellsbury truthist was, was awesome. I, you know, I, it's really becoming very apparent that people are picking up on the uh, <laughs> on, on who we love, who we hate, who you hate and like really hate and just keep hating and hating and hating. And uh, and the guys that I apologize for, you know, week in and week out. So I love the fact that 
that there's confidence of uh, of Ovaldi coming back because I believe it too. I think he's going to come back as a dominant reliever though. Personally, next year that'd be that'd be a quick. Recovery. I don't think no. Next year is not no. Maybe I mean for a World Series, maybe it'll be like a uh, Kyle Schwarber type scenario where the Yankees are going to be in the World Series next year and Nathan Ovaldi is going to come and close the door at the end of the game. You heard it here first. Yeah, hot take. <laughs> Next one's from Eddie C eighty five. He says, "Been a Yankees fan ever since I was a kid, and I randomly met Reggie Jackson at a con- concession stand, who was very disappointed they only had ice cream and not yogurt." Um, he says, "But I digress. Living in Ohio, I'm surrounded by Indians and Reds fans, so it's nice to have my source for Yankees. I don't know if there's any other Yankee podcast, but don't bother looking." So, Eddie, thank you. And the immediate thing I thought of when he told that story about Reggie Jackson being pissed off that they only had ice cream was in Seinfeld when Bette Midler yes. wanted pineapple uh, Italian ice. I mean that that whole scenario just shouts the Seinfeld episode. That sound, <laughs> sounds like it is like from the lost the lost writings of Larry David. That's that's pretty awesome, and I love the randomness of it too. Yes, perfect. Uh, any any Be, more th- random stories? Definitely leave them in the in the review section of iTunes. Yeah, love the randoms. Yeah, any kind of humor in there is is perfect. This is awesome. I love uh, love hearing from you guys too. It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, we've we pretty much did our first hundred episode without asking for any of these reviews and stuff like that. And I think you know Andrew and I have have big plans for the show, and we want to take it to even more levels and get you guys more more people on the show and do more things. So the fact that you guys are doing this uh, and you've you've been listening for the past hundred, you know, again we've we've said this a hundred times, but we really do appreciate it. It's so much fun uh, hearing from you guys because then with the podcast Andrew and I are talking to each other we hear from you guys on social media and such but you know hearing in the reviews and and you guys reaching out means a lot to us and it it makes it a lot more fun for us all right we got one more this one's from Sam in New Jersey he says as a dyed in the wool St. Louis Cardinals fan recently relocated to the New York City area I was looking forward to rooting for a local team with a long and colorful winning tradition says sorry Mets only room in my heart for one NL team Started listening to the podcast near the end of the 2015 season. I haven't missed an episode since. I've become a Yankees fan over these past two seasons, so you can't accuse me of jumping on the bandwagon. And he says that, obviously, because there's not really much of a bandwagon to jump onto these last two years. He says, Bronx Pinstripes keeps me in the game. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Yeah, I love it. Love the fact that uh, that we're, we're able to help. So that's awesome. Uh, Thank you, Sam in New Jersey. I love, I, we're getting like, I like the names, the fact that we're getting like people with names and their location. That means, I feel like that's a real show. You have a real like radio show slash podcast if you get the first name uh, and then their town. Um, could you imagine though, just uh, hopping on another bandwagon of a team? No, <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> I don't have, first of all, I don't have the bandwidth for it right now, but uh No. I, I don't think I could. I've thought about if I moved to another city, would I just hop on the bandwagon of maybe the local NBA or local NHL team? Because I'm not really a fan of either yeah. of those sports, and I think I could, but there's no way I could do it for baseball. See, I could definitely do it for... I, I could definitely do it for hockey and basketball just because I used to be diehard, and I, I really just... Uh, I haven't followed the teams. I used to be a big Nets fan and a big Devils fan. I just haven't followed the teams very closely in the past like 10 years, I'd say. But so those are the two. I, I agree with that. Um, but I, I guess if I moved to like LA, I would, I would, uh, and it, it was a National League team and there was, you know, I could go to Dodgers games. I would probably yes. go to Dodgers games and like pull for the Dodgers in the Absolutely. National League. 
Totally. So I, I understand it when when you have a, a split in the leagues and you're and you're very far away from your you know your your favorite team's town. And as you were just talking about that, I realized that we have someone from Bronx Pinstripes who did that exact thing, moved to yes. Washington D.C. and is now the biggest Nationals homer you'll ever meet. I've never been, I've never met a big a bigger Nationals fan in my life <laughs> ever. Uh, um, uh, RJ, who uh, has been writing for the site for years at this point, moved to D.C. like a year ago, and you'd think he is just stalking Bryce Harper. The guy goes to more Nationals games than I go to Yankees games. Oh, yeah, he's, he's huge. He's, uh, he loves Bryce Harper. He did love Bryce Harper before that, and he was very excited the fact that all the rumors are about Bryce Harper coming to the Yankees. So maybe he's just you know trying to... Uh, to, to push that along and, and, and move move him towards the Bronx. He's, yeah. he's yelling from the, the stands at this point. Now I feel like he'd be upset about that, though. That's true. <laughs> Might be some salty feelings. It's going to get weird for him. So uh, let's get into some World Series talk. Um, thank God it went to a Game 6 because last year's World Series, as as happy as I was that the Royals won, I, I was pissed off. It only went five games. Just not much drama in a five-game series. So the fact that the uh, the Cubs were able to push it to a game six, it'll be tonight as you're listening, game six, um, is huge. And I think it's huge for the sport because this has been one of the most highly rated World Series in the last few years. Actually, the highest since 2009, which was the year the Yankees and the Phillies were in it. Um, and something crazy, it beat Sunday night football on Sunday night Cowboys-Eagles by 32%, which is unheard of that uh, the NFL would get beat out by Major League Baseball like that, especially a pretty good matchup. Yeah. Um, first of all, game, seven, or game six is tomorrow night, by the way. It's Tuesday night, I think. I'm pretty sure there's a travel day. Yeah, but it's tonight as people are tonight. listening. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, we're, we're, I forgot we're back in time I in went next level on you. God, yeah. Usually you warn me about that kind of crap. I can't keep up with that. Um, okay, yes. So <laughs> the, yeah, I'm totally thrown off now. I don't even know what day it is. The fact that they actually extended it, yes, huge thing. I'm glad the Cubs fan got a got a win. I don't know about you. I know you're kind of sick of the whole hundred year thing, but the fact when they won that game and uh, and singing that song at the end of the game, the entire stadium that was a really cool moment. And I actually sat and watched that for a while, just listening to the entire crowd sing it because I think that stuff is awesome. When you have like that, first of all, I love huge groups of people singing like good songs, and uh, it's just I don't know. They gave me it gave me chills when I was listening to that. It was kind of cool. No, I'm happy that the Cubs won it, and it would have been really. Yeah, but you're only happy that they won, so you don't see a blowout, right? You're not. Are you happy they won because the fans got a win in Wrigley? No, yeah, that too. I think that's part of it because I think that to to have get and if they had gotten swept uh, three games in their home park, that would have been that would have been bad. It's not like I hate Cub. I hate the Cubs. I'm just rooting for the Indians, right? Um, but the fact that it was like a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday World Series first time since World War II. I mean, that must have just been an epic weekend. You saw those stories about like bars charging $1,000 for tables um, just to be at a bar near the stadium. It's crazy. I really wanted to go there, too. I mean, as, as much as the, the, the craze is, I would have loved to have been, been, been there this weekend. I mean, it would have been so much fun. Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, the atmosphere after they won, I mean, and, and uh, Chapman's performance, getting eight outs. Um, hey, I mean, it was electric. And... And yes, I'm happy that it's going to a game six, and it might go. I was, I'm hoping it goes game seven because there's nothing better than a game seven winner take all for the entire season. I mean, that's literally as good as it gets. That's that's the way it should go down this time because that means Kluber will pitch for the third time, right? In the in the, yeah. uh, in the series, which would be crazy. 
and you you know I think uh, who's pitching to, or the for Game Six for the Cubs? It's a uh, it's Arietta, Ari- right? Arietta, yeah. The Hendricks would be uh, <laughs> seven. Okay, so you got to you know there's uh they got the guy they want on the mound for Game Six. So this you know if he oh, totally. if he pitches to the the you know his capabilities, obviously he's uh he's a guy that they rely on, and and uh, I think it, I think it will go seven. Now that I'm seeing what's going down, I really thought it was going to go five. I went all in on that when I saw how early they went to the bullpen again. I'm like, there, there's no way. I, I didn't think I did not think the Cubs lineup was going to get as stifled as it was at home. Well, it kind of happened in the Dodgers series, and then they woke up, but. I mean, they're still getting stifled. They won game five, but they didn't win because of their offense. They won because they got unbelievable pitching from Lester and Chapman. Right. Um, and, and Trevor Bauer, I mean, I thought Francona was going to yank him before the fourth inning the way it was going. I mean, Francona, we've seen him go go to his bullpen as early as the third inning in these playoffs. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty funny to watch Andrew Miller and and Chapman go out there and like throw multiple innings each. Like these guys are are being they're like the CC Sabathia of the bullpens. They're just getting worked, and uh, it's and they're they're responding. I mean, these guys are just phenomenal athletes. They're gamers, and uh, they're they're really making it worthwhile for that that team. The, each team for that trade. I mean, shoot, it's working out perfectly. Yeah, I mean, do you think the eventually they're gonna it's gonna catch up to them in this series or is it just they're invincible until the series is over the indians uh miller and chapman i mean they're they look pretty they look pretty invincible i mean miller let up his first run right it was one run in solo shot 25 innings in the playoffs i mean but and then chapman goes out and uh and just just basically dominates i mean he had that little that little uh scuff with the uh you know with the the play at first base and he didn't cover the bag, but it would have been a tough play. I don't think he would have gotten there anyway with uh, with Rajah Davis running in. So the fact that he got out of that was crazy. Um, I don't know. They've, they've been really, really, really good and fun to watch. You think Girardi goes to him for eight outs? Nope. <laughs> Do you think he even goes to him for six outs? I don't... Yes, I think he would go six outs. Maybe he would... No, no, this is... No, I'm wrong. <laughs> Girardi would try to get through the eighth inning with somebody else, with with uh with uh Brandon Swarzak or with Brandon Pinder. Brandon yeah with Pinder, Brandon Pinder and then and then Brandon Pinder would walk the first two and then Chapman would come in and uh and he'd have to clean that up. So yeah, no it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a clean inning. Maybe he'd have to get six outs because of the person before him not getting a single out. We saw Chapman not afraid to take the ball uh, in for multiple innings. He wanted to. Do you remember that game against Texas that had like a two and a half yeah. hour rain delay? He wanted to go yeah. back out there. Girardi wouldn't let him. Which I mean, I understand both sides on that in, in a July or whatever it was game. That's a little different scenario than World Series Game Five, especially when you're about to sell the guy and you need to make <laughs> sure he's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want anything happen to your left arm, buddy. We're about to get some prospects for you. Yeah, we need to secure our future and. That arm is a big part of it, but how about him getting a, his third at bat in, the, in his uh, in his career? He actually looked pretty good up there, as far as the look. You know, he he looked like a hitter. You would dude's think, an athlete. You would think spending pretty much his entire career in the National League, he would have more than three at bats, right? Yeah, I would have thought that, but I guess when you're coming in in the ninth inning, I mean, there's only certain very special circumstances where you blow the lead and then you'd come back to to you know to pitch the tenth or it's an extra inning game and you got to pitch more. So it, there's unique situations why the, a closer would have an at-bat. Right, because Mariano only had one in his career and it was an RBI walk. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, well, in the National League, you'd think it would happen more, but even at the end right. of the game like that, it's not not as a uh, not as common as you'd think. Are you surprised at all with how well Schwarber looked at the plate in the first two games? Not really. Six months I think, off, though. I mean, the dude didn't play for six months. And last week on the podcast, I, I incorrectly said he got hurt in the second game of the season. It was like the fifth or sixth game. Okay. I mean, big big mistake there. No, I, well, I'm, the, I own up to my mistakes. All right. The uh, yeah, I mean, what, He was in – I know he was only – he went to Arizona Fall League for a little bit. He wasn't there long. But, I mean, if you heard well, – he was taking, like, hear, yeah, okay. thousands of reps <laughs> off, of a, off of the pitching machine. I mean, like, dude, we had to stop – so uh, his hands wouldn't be, you know, like down to the bone. I he mean, got like the, a month's worth of spring training pitches in four days. Yeah. It was, he was <laughs> getting ready. And I don't know, when you look at that guy, you just know that guy is going to be ready. He's a gamer. He looks like a gamer. He looks like he's born to hit the ball. So, no, it didn't surprise me. I, yeah, Kyle Seaball hit the guy. ball. That's all, that's all that's going through his mind. He's got a one-track yeah. mind. I think he's... Uh, Pretty focused on that. Um, it's and that hurt, that hurt them. The fact that the the doctor wouldn't clear him to play the outfield, and uh, and and well, put that bat in the lineup. Frank put Santana out in left field everywhere. He put him in left field. Start, he put him at first. Yeah, yeah first start in the outfield. Um, there, I can't imagine Schwarber would have been any worse than Santana in the outfield. But I don't think it was because he couldn't play out there. Uh, no, I know the know, doctor the didn't ability. clear him. But even yeah. if even if they told him, hey, clear. just jog for the ball, right. <laughs> like, your bat yeah, is I mean, worth it for us. Absolutely. I, th- that would have been uh, – I think he would have been able to do it. I mean, I have no idea. So, I'm t- completely talking out of my ass again a whole about thing, the injury. Uh, obviously, people are saying it's bullshit that the Cubs don't have home field advantage because they have the best record in baseball and MLB is stupid for having the All-Star game decided and blah, blah, blah. But I actually think the fact that the Cubs will have Schwarber in the lineup for 6-7 and seven might even be an advantage. See, I'm, I'm actually when you when you have the series set up like two three two, which I can't stand. First of all, I really don't like it. The if if you lose a game, one of those first two games, the the um, the home field advantage, if there is one, shifts like dramatically, extremely dramatically, because of the next three games at the uh, the the other team's field. I don't know why they don't do two two, one one one. Because baseball is meant to be played every day, not. Off day play, off day play. Fine. There, so there's with with I mean, Chicago, Cleveland, 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 Chicago. Yeah, I mean, it's you a, don't have to do it. It's I a mean, five hour drive. Never. If it's, it's probably New a York, thirty minute flight. If it's New York and Los Angeles, I can understand there being people crying about it. But first of all, both teams have to do it. Second of all, it's it's just it's too many games in a row in a short series, in my opinion. I mean. Granted, we saw what happened. It didn't matter because Cleveland came out and hit. So, and and you know, the, the argument is in in baseball, does home field advantage really matter? And we talked about this last week. Like so, Fenway is one of the only <clears throat> parks. Yankee Stadium would be one probably just because of the right field. The team was built for that. But <laughs> also, I think it matters for AL NL because the teams are specifically built to be played in. That's that. true. So maybe in an ALCS or an NLCS, it doesn't matter. But I think in a World Series, it matters a lot. Yeah, uh, that's even that's a great point. That that's a that's a great point. I think that's that supports my argument even more. The fact that they should be, and that's the way it used to be. I don't I don't know when did that change come about. I forget what year. No, it's always actually, been two three two. Are the you sure? NBA, yeah, NBA and 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 NHL does um, alternate in the last three games, but MLB has always been that way. I, I thought mean, MLB remember, had I mean, the two two. It used to be the championship series was five games up until the wild card era. Yeah, now I'm now I think I'm confusing the uh, the different sports, but 
I don't know. I don't like it. I'm not, I personally just, I'm not well, a big fan of it. What I'm saying is it actually I don't might... like it. I don't care. I don't have any reasons behind it. I don't like it. That's it. You just don't like it. I just don't like it. The eye test, it. it doesn't pass the Scott, down. doesn't pass the Scott Ryan and smell test. No, I'm a baseball purist and that's my purest. No sabermetrics for that guy. No. But what I'm saying is it actually might benefit Chicago that they get to play with the DH because then Schwarber can be in the lineup. No, I see that now. But the fact uh, he would have been in there a, a game earlier if they went back to uh, Cleveland. I don't know. Now that, the, that Kyle Schwarber is able to be in the lineup, though, that uh, to me it's a different dynamic. And just having him there, there's another energy. I feel like these guys really feed off of him and feed off the fact that he's there and in the lineup. And it, and it just kind of uh, amps them up a little bit more. So I think it's, a, it's an X factor. Yeah, it sure is. And I think the fact that he actually, I mean, he almost hit one out of the ballpark in game one. He had a couple hits in an RBI in game two. Uh, that totally changes the dynamic of that lineup. It goes from uh, a very good lineup to a great lineup if he's hitting. Um, I mean, he's he's potentially their best hitter. Well, he he is. He's definitely their most, most feared hitter. And you're seeing guys around him. I mean, Zobris in those first two games was was crushing the ball. And I got to believe a lot of that was he's getting better pitches because he was hitting in front of Kyle Schwarber. And the fact that Schwarber's hitting behind him and was actually hitting, that, I mean, he... He didn't start off well because Pete Rose was coming in saying he's going to strike out. He's going to strike out uh, three times. And uh, and he just came in there and said, no, Pete, no, Pete. I, I'm Kyle Schwarber. I'm the Kyle Schwarber. Well, logic, well, for the first time in his life, Pete Rose used logic and said a guy who hasn't played since April, I'll throw him into a World Series game, he's probably going to struggle. I mean, that would be logical. I know, but, but if I'm Pete Rose, if, if I thought the way I would I, – if I'm looking at the way I would think Pete Rose would think, I would think he would say – a hitter is a hitter. It doesn't matter. This guy's going to go up. He's a gamer. He's going to hit. He's you just a pure went, hitter. You just went like 12 layers deep. You went like, <laughs> if, I, if I was thinking like Pete Rose was thinking, if he was thinking, I didn't know he was thinking about it. I was trying was to Kyle catch Schwarber. myself back up to it. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to go make sure I did a 360 on that one. Well, you know you know who's not hitting well and not hitting like Kyle Schwarber is Jason Hayward. Why the hell is that guy so bad all of a sudden? If you, it's he's not got all the of a weirdest, sudden, though. That's the problem. He's it's got not the all weirdest of a sudden. baseball reference page. The dude was an MVP candidate his rookie season. He won rookie of the year, I believe MVP candidate in Atlanta and been a steady decline since then. He's only 26 years old. You figured this would be his prime years, 26 to 30. That's your prime, but he looks like a fish out of water. I mean, the dude can't do anything right at the plate. And he came up in so many big situations in the three games in Chicago and failed every time. Yeah. I mean, he, the, what was it last night? He got a hit. I mean, it was a, it was an error. I don't know. He got on in the last inning, and he, it he was, ended up stealing um, a couple bases. It was two. It was uh, game uh, four. Uh, no, it was last game. He got up, and he he was on third. He stole two bases in the eighth inning, I believe it was. Oh, okay. Was I'm, well. I'm it also was a hard. It was a hard hit up. ball. Uh, it may have been an error. It may have been. I don't know if it was. It was an error or not. Either way, yes, he's a fish out of water because the dude's not that good. <laughs> I never. I didn't understand the contract in the first place. Because well no but we justified it by saying at least they're they might be overpaying him per year but at least they're overpaying him for his years when he's in his prime. I get that, but he wasn't that great of a player before he signed no, that I contract. Agree. I agree. That's the problem. He was overpaid. He, there was a there was a Aaron Hicks effect here. There was a little bit of a this guy's got so much potential. He's entering his prime. He was really good a long time ago. Maybe maybe we can catch this. And they just haven't. He's just not that good. So he's a, if, he's a plus defender. He's a good defender, but uh, I'm telling you, he's Aaron Hicks. Say 
Okay, you're going to be Brian Cashman. I'm Theo Epstein in this scenario. Uh, November 20th, I give you a call and say, hey, I got a real big problem on my hands. His name is Jason Hayward. We owe him a boatload of money through 2023. You have a big problem on your hands that's only owed money through 2020, but he, he's an older problem, Jacoby Ellsbury. You want to swap problems? No. No, I do not want to swap problems. <laughs> the fact that- I, I want nothing to do with your 2023 player that you have handcuffed for another seven years no thank you <laughs> this show who we are ellsbury truthists wouldn't even swap i agree with you would not even swap for jason no Hayward. why would i want another problem when we're entering this why would i movement? want a longer problem yeah exactly <laughs> because at some point they're either gonna dump him or they're gonna find a trade where a lot of the money's taken by eaten by the yankees i i, I think this is gonna happen at some point but no, no, I don't want that problem. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and I don't want them to ever sign a guy like Hayward for that long and for that amount of money. Just don't do it. We, they, he has an opt-out in his contract after year three. Which, yeah, but he's not going to take it. Well, here's unless the thing. He has a, unless he has a balls year next so year. So making, he's making, I think, whatever, $20 million per year. So he's going to have banked $60 million bucks plus whatever he's made in his career. What if he's just so freaking unhappy in Chicago he wants to get the hell out of there? I, there's no way with that team. I mean, they all—they look like they're having so much fun. How can you be unhappy with Javi Baez on your team? That guy <clears> looks like happy because he's, you get booed every time you go to the plate. Who gives a shit? They are—he's going to get booed think, anywhere I he think, goes. I think people give a shit. Okay, so he's going to get booed in another town when he signs another contract. He's going to get booed somewhere else. He's just still going to get booed. He's not going to get better. It's not. It's not going to improve his play. I would rather play with a young team who's on the rise, that's at their peak, than. Then be shipped out, and he knows how much money he's going to make after that for sucking. Would it so really he's, he's shock you though if he has a balls year like you just said in his in his opt out year? Because players tend to do that from time to time. Yeah, they do do that, and no, it probably no. Yeah, yes, it would surprise me because I don't think he's that good. <laughs> he's just so bad he can't. He's even, just not that good. Yeah, he wouldn't just even not do steroids, good. right? Maybe he did actually, and that's why he was got he got paid. He did it really well his his uh, freshman year, his his rookie year. Last bit about the World Series is that um, do you think that the Cubs fans kind of celebrated a little bit too hard when they made the World Series? And I mean, there's st- the Cubs players are cocky going into Game Six. You would think they're up three two, not down three two. But but as far as fans go, do you think they kind of counted their chickens before they hatched? No, because I don't think they know how to act. I don't. I don't this is think so they. Foreign to them. They're yeah. Just, this is so. They just. They're just. They're being overtaken by their joy from every level, and they're. And the, when you see the team and what they did, you know, over the regular season, and you see the potential and how young they are, and the, it's it's probably impossible for you not to get like completely crazy excited. So the fact that coupled with the fact that they've never seen anything like this ever is. Is a is a dangerous it's a dangerous tandem as a fan because you have to have nothing you have nothing but like really high expectations because all you have been is burned by bad teams and now you have a really good young team who's dominated the the uh, regular season you know you got to ex- almost expect like okay this is it's it's finally coming to an end well you didn't see Cleveland Indian fans celebrate like they just won the World Series when they only made it. No, but you know the Cavs just won. They've been to the World Series before. They've had teams that were closer. You know, it's. I mean, granted, it's been still a lifetime for a lot of their fans too. The uh, it's 
you know, it's just it's just different. It doesn't have the same storyline. And I think that's what a lot of people are getting annoyed by is the fact that everybody thought the Cubs were just going to walk through this because the Cubs haven't won in 100 years and this is the year they're going to win it. And that's it. Well, well they forgot paper, about the Cleveland Indians. I mean, the, the Cubs this year were the best team in baseball. There's no question about that. But I think we're learning that they're not an all-time great team. And I think that's what they were made out to be for most of the year. Well, I don't even know if that's fair because you're, a lot of these guys are getting their first time in in the postseason, like deep postseason. So sometimes that that doesn't go well the first time. And you kind of have to get used to what's going to happen in the postseason. And it's different from from the Division Series to the League Championship Series to the World Series. I mean, it's it's different levels of, of play, obviously, well, different levels of pressure. you think they would have gotten that out of the way last year when they got swept by the Mets? But that's the it thing. was the same team last year. Yeah, mostly. But, you know, the fact that they get to the World Series, they, they got past that hump, though. Now, now they're in a new hump. And... <laughs> And they're realizing that it's not as easy because in baseball, what we've seen over the past, you know, however long, the hottest team going into the baseball, the one that catches fire and is playing the best is usually the one that wins it. And that's Cleveland right now. Uh, well, the Cubs fans will know how to act next year when they when they most likely are back in the same position because that's the kind of team they have. All right, uh, let's get into some mailbags. The uh, reason we're getting to mailbags already is because we got a few good ones um, with a lot of different Yankees topics. So let's just move right to mailbags. First one comes from Joe's McFly, who is a loyal podcast listener. I talk to him on Twitter quite often. He says, happy 102nd. Got a podcast and a Yankees question. With you guys well on your way to 200 shows and now a loyal following, what were some of the challenges you had getting the podcast off the ground? Time, content, etc." So this is a uh, different type of question than we normally get. We'll touch on it quickly and then get to his Yankees point. So think back to, what was it, March of 2015 when we launched this thing? Yeah, so it was uh, you and I had talked about doing something like this for a while, and we've had the, the, the website had been going for, what, four or five years <clears throat> at that point, and this was kind of the next progression. I had, a, I had a podcast before we had started this called Behind Sports, and I interviewed uh, people in sports, like executives and things like that. And I did about 50 episodes of that the year before, like for almost for a, a, a full year. So I had some knowledge of like the podcast behind the scenes stuff. So I think we had a little bit of a head start with the like the back end stuff. And then honestly, as far as like the content and stuff, uh, I don't know. I, I thought it came pretty natural for us to, to find topics, especially in season the first year. And, um, I, you know, the timing, I mean, definitely we had some technical issues here and there, but not, not nothing completely crazy. I think it was pretty smooth. I remember one time we tried to record and Skype was so awful. My internet connection was so awful that after like five or six times of not being able to do it, we just said, screw it. And we ended up doing it the next day. Yeah. I mean, we've, I think we've had that a, a few times because we do record on Skype. If you don't know, this is like, it's a, so it's an all digital call online and sometimes Skype sucks and our, the sound sucks and it sounds like we're like on different planets. So unfortunately it's uh, it's just not possible. The website definitely helped out with being able to promote it because we did have a pretty good following on the website already. So yeah. that was a big part of it. Uh, as far as content goes though, I mean, we definitely did learn as we were going in that first season because you remember the first half of the first year we basically i think focused too much on recapping games um and we've definitely moved away from that 
Yeah, we've definitely we 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 are not as systematic anymore. We're we're definitely hitting on topics, and then you and I, I mean, we have notes every week that Andrew primarily, uh, you know, does the notes, and then I'll add to them here and there. But Andrew primarily puts notes together for the show, and just a little background on what we're doing, and then. What happens every single episode is we go off on tangents and we we start going like left and right and like way off the show notes and then go back. So yeah, there's there's a but we we allow that to happen now because it's natural and it and it's better conversations than us just sticking to hey the Yankees played the Blue Jays today and they they did this and then next game. So yeah, those tangents make it go from like a fifty minute episode, which is what we shoot for every week, to an hour and twenty minute episode, which is right. basically what it's been for the last six months. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as far as time goes, we kind of uh, make make do with it. Uh, I'll, I'll race home after work, so we record on Monday afternoons, or if we're recording on the weekends, we usually accommodate around the Yankees game. Um, so it's been pretty seamless, I think, you know, yeah, for the past I think two it's, years. I think it has been pretty good. <clears throat> All right, uh, Joe's Yankees question, he says, I'm getting annoyed with people saying, I hope Clint Frazier is getting what uh, is looking at what Miller is doing. First, he wasn't the only person in that trade. Frazier was a top piece, but wasn't major league ready yet. It irks me that on things like ESPN Radio, they say he's only going to be a 280 hitter, as if that's some sort of slight. Anyone here would like to sign up for a 280 outfielder with speed and red marketable hair? Um, first of all, I read that first and I thought it just said remarkable red hair. That was the first thing I saw, which could also be applicable because it is remarkable red hair. I mean, they're pretty good. Maybe locks. it was. And I, when I copied it over, it, I, who knows? It, it's remarkably red. So yeah, they're, they're gorgeous. It's, it's a, it's a gorgeous head of hair. I mean, uh, red I hope, thunder. I hope he doesn't cut it too much. So it's a great question because did you see that a couple weeks ago? I think it was during the ALCS Frazier tweeted that his mentions blow up every time Miller comes into the game. Yes. It's obviously with Yankee fans just saying, you better you better be good because look what Miller's doing. Um, do you think the fact that Miller won the ALC... The fact that both Miller and Chapman, you can make a case that if their team wins the World Series, they're going to be the MVP of the World Series is pretty crazy, um, especially if you figure that Chapman will probably get into both games if the Cubs win and get the saves. And I'm assuming Miller's going to have a big part in the next game if they win another one, Cleveland. So each of those could be World Series MVPs. Um, is that added pressure on the prospects that the Yankees got back? I think to an extent. I mean, when you're not playing baseball, you're you're looking around and you're on Twitter and you're seeing all these things. So I mean, you know, you know the situation. You know that these guys, especially being in the World Series in under such a heavy spotlight and how well they're doing, you know what the situation is. So whether you're you know Gleber Torres or Clint Frazier, you know it's in the back of your mind at least at some point. But I don't the way that the way that I see these two kids make up is uh like Frazier I think he's laughing at it like he he calls it out on Twitter so it doesn't seem like it's really bothering him at all I, I don't think he he really you know puts too much behind it and then Gleyber Torres you know I don't <laughs> this is a kid that that came over from 16 years old from Venezuela who's been working his ass off to get to the major leagues you think he's really concerned about who he got traded for I, I don't I think he's in Arizona right now focusing on baseball and and trying to get to the Bronx and do as best as he can. So well, I don't really think I think it's mostly us and and people talking about it rather than the actual uh, player themselves. I definitely agree. It's mostly fans saying it, but 
the fact that Frazier is a lot closer to the major leagues than Torres, I think, plays a factor. Because I think more fans, more casual fans, know who Clint Frazier is than they know who Glaber Torres is. And because we are going to hopefully see Frazier in the next year, he's going to be linked to that Andrew Miller trade. It's going to be right there on screen the first time he gets called up. Fans are going to say, oh, this is the guy that they got for Andrew Miller. Whereas we might not see Gleyber Torres until, say, 2018 at the earliest, probably more like 2019 or 2020. And I think that's going to be so far in the back of people's minds that the Yankees traded Araldis Chapman in 2016 for this guy that I don't think it really is going to play a factor for him. Especially if he's back on the Yankees within, like, within a five-year if, deal. Yeah, especially <laughs> if Chapman's already back. Exactly. Yeah. The, you know, and the interesting thing about that Frazier, because right now when he's in Scranton, Pennsylvania, I don't think it's really affecting him too much. The, the time it will affect him is if he were to get called up or if he were to have a really hot... Uh, beginning of the season, or even spring training, if you were to like light it up and then have a really good first, uh, you know, first month or two of of um, of the season in Scranton, and he were to get called up for whatever reason, if he were to struggle in the Bronx, I mean, that's that's when the New York media and the national media are the guys that will remind him of that all the time, and he'll hear it from the fans in New York if that's the case. So that he doesn't, he, that's a completely unknown situation for him right now. He's in the minor leagues. He's in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where people aren't going to give him any any shit or you know talk, talk you know yell at him like they would in New York. So you know, I don't. It's a wait and see thing. But it seems to me that the makeup of the kid itself, uh, you know, the way he plays, it's not going to affect him. And I don't think that really affects his preparation or or in game. But again, until he's in New York, when I think it actually would affect him, I don't think we'll know. Well. Um, Joel Sherman also wrote something this week that there is pressure on the Yankees organization to have those prospects they got for Miller and Chapman work out. But yeah. if you look at what the Yankees got, and this is according to MLB Pipeline, which they rank all the prospects in Major League Baseball, the Miller, Chapman, and Beltron trades got the Yankees their current number one prospect, Clint Frazier, number two, Gleyber Torres, number six, Justice Sheffield, number 10, Dylan Tate, and number 15, Billy McKinney. So all of those guys are within the top 15. Cashman did his job. He maximized returns for those two players. Now, if in five years it turns out all of those guys are busts, yes, some of the blame needs to go on Cashman, but I think you would also have to put a lot of the blame on the development system of the Yankees because it's unanimous thought that the Yankees got good prospects in return. So it's not like there's pundits out there saying, oh, no, Clint Frazier's not very good and and Cashman got duped on this trade. All of these guys are supposed to be very good. If they don't work out, yes, it's going to be look bad on the organization, but at the time of the trade, they did everything they could. So I don't even know that you can really second-guess it at this point because, like I said, they maximized returns. When you look at what they got, it's insane that all of those guys came over four months ago and they're all within the top 15 it's insane well and and that's exactly right the even the 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 development of the of the team it would be hard to question that because some of them i mean with glibertor is yes uh when you're talking about frazier i mean he's in triple a you you can do a lot of things for a guy early on when you get to triple a like yes there's going to be adjustments but it's going to be a lot on the player and and the fact that he's just progressing through the the system and and you know making making the the progressions that he's supposed to make. So 
I know people will look back on on these guys on this trade, and I think all most of the public opinion will go on Brian Cashman. Nobody will talk about any of the coaches. Nobody will talk about what happens in the minor leagues. It'll be on Cashman. No one knows their names. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the that's part of the job description as GM. You're you're exactly right, and I think Brian Cashman welcomes that, and I think the fact that he got these guys. You know, I mean, obviously, you and I are, are on the page where I think he's he's going to look back. Uh, people are going to look back and be like, I can't believe that you know he did, he did this for for rentals. And I mean, Andrew Miller is is a rental plus, but Chapman was a half a season rental, and they got Glaber Torres, who's the number two prospect in the uh, system, and who's lighting up Amer- uh, the Arizona Fall League right now. And who, I mean, the Indians and the Cubs are still talking about these trades that, yes, the Yankees, we gave up a ton. And yes, the Yankees did very, very, very well. They're still talking about the players that they gave up and how well the Yankees did. And so, those guys are in the freaking World Series. The, both yeah. of those teams, you can argue, I mean, maybe the Cubs get there even without Chapman, but the Indians certainly don't get to the World Series without Andrew Miller. Right. And so you, you see the two top headliners are, are both doing well. And, uh, you know, to, to the question that, that Joe's McFly was asking and, and what he was getting angry about as well was the fact that Frazier, that he was getting irked that ESPN was like, oh, Frazier's only going to be a 280 hitter and that's what you got in return? Okay, first of all, let's get something straight. When when did we get when did we start getting angry at uh, at two eighty hitters in this day and age? Everybody's you know okay with the strikeout and the low batting average as long as the ball goes out of the ballpark. But you're saying and 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 kind of like talking talking shit on the fact that the guy's a two eighty hitter. Dave Winfield was a two eighty hitter. I'll take a two eighty hitter all day long with some pop, all day long. So I feel you on that. Uh, if this kid's a two eighty hitter with pop, I would absolutely sign up for that all day long. Um, this year on the Yankees, do you know who hit 280? Didi. Do, do you know how many players hit 280 on the starting one. on the starting lineup? One. Yeah, one. And do you know who that was? Didi. Carlos Beltran. Uh, Didi didn't finish above 280. <laughs> 276. So oh, I think okay. the Yankees would welcome a 280 hitter. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, again, this is what I was when he when uh, uh, Joe's was talking about that on Twitter, and I was like, you know, that's and we've talked about this. It is the forgotten stat. It's the one that nobody cares about anymore because all you nerds, all you sabermetric nerds, and I'm yeah. talking to you, Andrew, and your friends, are worried about all these other ner- Who these are my like, friends, the sabermetric people that you guys hang out. I don't know. You're in some chat room talking about nerd things for baseball. Chat. I don't room. even. What is this? Yeah. 1999. <laughs> You're on. You're on. Uh, what was that you're video? On those internets. No, you're on uh, Blab talking with uh, talking with your boy. <laughs> what was his name? <laughs> I forget Bill his name. Bill Dill. Bill Dill. You're talking with Bill Dill about you know what you know what Jose Ramirez's <laughs> war is. No one knows is. what the hell we're talking about right now. <laughs> Uh, we so there's this thing called Blab, and it's basically like uh, live Skype, so people can join in and join your podcast or Skype hangout or whatever it may be. It's called it's Periscope with more people. Yeah, exactly. Scott and I tested it one night, and we were just like messing around with it, seeing if maybe we would use it for the podcast. We got one person to join. His name was Bill Dill. <laughs> he had a top hat on, and it looked like he was calling from a closet from a like a mental institution. And he, was, had, uh, and he had Valentine's Day balloons in the background, still inflated with helium, <clears throat> and this was August. Yeah. What, uh, what, we probably spent a half hour talking to him, though. <laughs> <laughs> it started getting weird and interesting, so we definitely hung out for a little bit. It those, was, uh, we need to find those lost tapes. Yeah. They're there. They're, they're alive somewhere. Actually, <laughs> I think Blab went under, so maybe they're not. Oh, maybe really? Shocker. Yeah, maybe they're gone forever. 
Um, what I was going to also say, though, about about the, the five prospects they got within the top 15 for those, those, those guys, I think prospects nowadays are more well-known. 15 years ago, prospects weren't uh, mainstream. I mean, people may might have read about them in like the newspaper when a trade would happen. But now you can literally look up what a prospect does every day on the internet. So you can follow these prospects and you can know step by step if they're progressing or not. There's a million websites dedicated just to prospects. So I think now fans are even more involved with the minor leagues and the prospects of teams that it does put a little bit more pressure on the organization to not mess something up because you can't sweep it under the rug anymore. Well, it's funny that you say that because when I had uh, when we when we did the the interview with Ref Snyder, he actually mentioned that and was talking about the fact that uh, you know how he I think his words were how humbled he is that people are caring and how scary it is that people know and give accolades for minor league stats and minor leaguers and all this because of there's much bigger followings now for minor league players and people know exactly who they are and what to expect and it's all based off of minor league stats and scouting reports and you know podcasts like ours and things like that so there's a just a ridiculous amount of coverage um, so yeah, there's a lot more expectations, and the, the guys know that now, and you know they're in tune because of social media, because of Twitter, because people are talking about who they are, and you know we're talking about Frazier, and Frazier's out there asking Instagram models out on Twitter, and Yankee fans are are eating it up. So yeah, there's a, there's definitely different expectations for these guys. It's it's a it's a unique situation, but also it's uh, for them they should welcome it because they're getting fame before they even really deserve it. Um, it's and just, maybe that's not a good thing for some of these guys. Well, I for mean, some it, of these it, guys, it's probably bad, but right. it, it's going to open up marketing opportunities for a lot of them before they probably would have gotten it otherwise. It's definitely given exposure. So exposure, as long as they can, exposure is a good thing. So uh, They should be careful what they wish for because I think they would prefer it this way than if uh, the fact that no one knew about them. Yeah. Um, also, let's talk about. Uh, I just want to mention Greg Bird, who's been playing in the Arizona Fall League. Um, his stats have not looked great. He had a hot first week, but he's cooled off. His batting average is two twenty. I know you love batting average; it's your new favorite stat. So I figured I'd mention that. My new favorite stat, like it's yeah. a new stat. You, you're yeah. bringing batting average back. Um, yeah, I am bringing it back. I'll yeah. do that. It's wild. Um, Bill James is hating you right now. Are you going to keep going? Okay. Uh, anyway. Right. The biggest thing for Greg Bird is that he's healthy and playing. Um, so I don't really give a crap what his batting average or his RBIs or whatever. No, it's a, it's it's true. And w- we can talk about Arizona Fall League is gone three weeks, I think, and they have uh, another three weeks. So we'll, we'll 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 talk about some of the guys and what they're doing. Is there Bird right now? I mean, who cares about the stats? He's first of all, he is hitting with power uh, with a little bit of. Uh, it, the home runs aren't going out of the ballpark, but he's he's actually hitting the ball in the gaps, um, and he's healthy. That's exactly right. The guy's swinging a bat, and he's playing in Arizona Fall League, and that that to me is a is a really positive sign. The the fact that he's actually out there playing, I was a little surprised that they actually sent him there. To tell you the truth, knowing that he's going to be the the starting first baseman next year, or at least most likely going to be. Um, well, so I'm he, I'm, he I'm surprised. It's not a very Yankee move. He had the surgery about a year ago, right? Uh no, it was it a happened. few weeks. It was a few weeks after the season ended, wasn't it? 
Maybe I, I'm, I'm forgetting anyway, the timeline now. What I'm, what I'm thinking is that I mean, they they took their time with him, and they were smart to do that because he's only 23, right. 24 years old. They didn't want to rush anything, so this is a perfect time to get him back into game shape before he has the pressure of walking into spring training 2017 as the Yankees starting first baseman. Mark Teixeira is not there anymore. It's Greg Bird's position, and first base first base for the New York Yankees is a big freaking deal. So, hey, let's get his uh, feet wet before he has to be thrown to the wolves in spring training. I I absolutely get it, and I agree with the decision. I think it was a smart decision, and I think it was a good decision. But it's, to me, very un-Yankee-like. I mean, if you look at the other guys in the Arizona Fall League that are on the Yankees, you're looking at Dylan Tate, Torres, um, Caprillion, and uh, J.P. Fireisen, and these guys, and and Duar, if (laughs) we're butchering his name for the second straight week. And these guys are... It's Anduar. These guys are all, you know, double uh, A and below ballplayers. This is Greg Bird's a major leaguer, so the fact that he's playing in Arizona Fall League to me was surprising. I, I wasn't. I had actually, when I saw his name on that roster, that he was going out there, I was surprised. I thought he'd be doing something, you know, a little bit more private, or you know, getting private sessions in, just hitting, doing hitting, and then going into spring training. So I was surprised. I'm glad they're doing it. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad because it's going to give him some confidence and you know the way that his body feels going into spring training, and that's important because, I mean, he's... Granted, he is the leader in the clubhouse for the first base spot, but Tyler Austin is there saying, hey, you know, I'm pretty good too. I had some time in the Bronx, and uh, I can I can hit opposite field. So... Yeah, so I mean, look Tyler at me. Austin's a nice player, but Greg Bird has a real chance to be an impact player for the Yankees right. next year. I mean, middle order of the order of bat, you're thinking three, four, five in the order. Tyler Austin's not going to be there. Even more, even more surprising why, why when I saw his name on the Arizona Fall League that that he was there. But again, I'm glad they're there. I'm glad he's doing it, and it's it's a, you know, maybe it's not a, a, a remarkable change for the Yankees organization, but I don't know. It seems like it seems like something that the Yankees wouldn't do in the past. Yeah, I, I hear you on that one. All right, let's move on to the next one. It's from Owen Casey. He says, in my opinion, I think Andrew Miller was one of the best free agents that Brian Cashman ever signed. Where does he rank in your opinion? So I totally agree. Uh, we only got a year and a half out of Andrew Miller, but we also got all those prospects. And at four years, $36 million, everyone is saying he is a bargain. So I definitely think that uh, that is one of Cashman's best signings. And I also think because of the character of Andrew Miller, I mean, everyone said they loved him and he was a great clubhouse guy. He always put the team first instead of worrying about if he was the closer or not. So I totally agree on that. But um, I tried to go through the list of Brian Cashman free agent signings, and it is a long list. You can go to uh, Baseball Reference and look at Cashman's transactions page. There's a lot of guys in there. There's a lot of crap. But I tried to pick out three names where if you ask somebody, was that a good signing, almost every Yankee fan would say yes. And I came up with three names. The first is Mike Messina, who originally signed a contract 2001 to 2006, which was six years, $88.5 million. It sounds like a bargain now, considering he was the best free agent starting pitcher at the time. And then he re-upped with the Yankees for two years and $22 million. So when it was all said and done, the Yankees got eight years and $110 million out of Mike Messina, who in that span was one of the top 10 starting pitchers by pretty much every measure in Major League Baseball. So I think when you're... Th- I don't dispute the fact that all these guys are uh, are positive signings, and the fact that Andrew Miller is you know one of the better signings for for Cashman, and I I definitely see how people say it's the best one, but I think 
don't you have to look at the impact of that player and how the team did as well and like the yes. and how and how the the team was structured around that player and if it was the the right player at the right time because to me that's also a very important thing to think about the fact that Cashman went out and found the right player at the right time and made the team succeed as well and if you're looking at Andrew Miller you know I think the when you look at the you know the way that the front office thought about the Yankees last year and that or uh uh, 2015 and 2016. You know, the talk was that the the team is ready to go. The team is ready to go. We had some injuries. The the age became a very big issue. And you know, the Yankees always said that yes, we are here to win a championship. We're here to compete. But it just wasn't a realistic uh, a realistic topic to talk about because it just the team didn't perform like they expected. And I think their expectations were off. So so I have a hard time saying that he was the best one because. I mean, they didn't win anything when he was there, and yes, he was okay, there and did gonna, very well. You're going to blame uh, no, I'm not blaming him for not winning. I mean, the no. guy did everything he could to. I get it, but I'm saying if I'm talking about Brian Cashman's best free agent signings, I'm also looking at you know the the impact that that guy had on the team and how the team did as well. I totally it's, agree with that. So when you look at Mike Messina, they never won a World Series with him. So I think right. that is a slight. I think if they won one World Series with Mike Messina, he would unanimously be the best free agent signing Cashman ever made. But they did make it to two World Series with him. Yeah, I agree. I think and and that's to me that's a that's a big step. I mean, they got to the World Series solid solid huge. I mean, Mike Messina was uh, just a, a a dog in the in the rotation. I mean, the guy you knew every single time he came out, he was going to pitch a good game, and and you were going to uh, be in an opportunity to win that game. So, would your opinion on Messina change had he hung around for one more season and got a ring in '09, and he was just the number five starter? Maybe didn't even get a postseason start. Was just a long man out of the bullpen. Would it really <laughs> Pro- change your opinion? Probably because my memory is so shitty that I would forget that <laughs> he was the but number five starter. That's bullshit, though. I know, but that's, I mean, that's what happened. Sorry. The the fact is, is that you look back and, and you say that, oh, this guy's got a ring. I mean, that's like saying Frank Thomas had a ring, right? So people are looking back. I forgot that he had a ring. I forgot that the World Series was you won by the White Sox. You blocked 05 too. out of your mind, apparently. <laughs> but, um, but people are going to look back and say, yeah, Frank Thomas did win a World Series. But you, from what you told me, because I have no recollection of this, is that he really didn't play very much in that World Series. So well, no, he was he had a broken foot. But history will remember the fact that Frank Thomas won a World Series. That's that's just what happens. I don't think it will. I think you have to be on the active roster to to remember that you won a World Series. Oh, he wasn't even on the active roster? Oh, he had a broken foot. Oh, I thought he had come back. Anyway, whatever. Bad example then. The fact that uh, Messina got to the World Series. I mean, look, the guy was a a solid pitcher. He never won anywhere he was. So that's always going to be a slight. He's like the Dan Marino of pitching. (laughs) It's a very good comparison, actually. Made it with the Orioles. Uh... Never, never uh, got over the hump with the Orioles. Never got over the hump with the Yankees. So. That's going to be the thing that's talked about with Messina. I mean, the, he had numbers that were very, very good, and he never won. Well, yeah, that's the conversation with him with um, with the Hall of Fame. Say mm-hmm. he had won. Say the he the Yankees won the World Series in two thousand one. All that has to happen is Derek Jeter catches one bloop or a number of different things that have to happen. Mike Messina yeah. is one of the aces on that staff. He probably makes it to the Hall of Fame just by one little game changing. By one little move in, Torrey bringing the infield in. Yeah, it's one. You're right. But that's that's baseball, Susan. That's what happens. And the there one are, thing I, there I are many I've little s- things that do that. I believe I've said this on the podcast. I, I, I think Mike Messina was a good signing, but he did not pitch that well in the 2004 season when the Yankees really needed him to. So uh, that, that will always stick out in my mind. I think 2004 just is never going to leave my brain, unfortunately. 
2004 was a disaster. So here's a good example of two guys that I think because they won World Series, you think of them as great signings. The first is Hideki Matsui, who uh, signed two different contracts with the Yankees, but when it was all said and done, seven years for $72 million, which is a remarkable, remarkably good value for what Hideki Matsui was. Um, and then also Johnny Damon, four years, $52 million. Both of those guys win the 2009 World Series. Matsui was the MVP of that series. You probably don't think they're great signings unless they win that championship. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know. I guess it's hard to say that without, you know, with because we did win it. It's it's easier to talk about Messina because we didn't win it. But um, uh, Matsui is the one that sticks out of my mind. Uh, that was the that was the guy that I would have said. And I know there's probably a little bit of controversy as if he's, you know, a, a guy that that Brian Cashman was able to lure in free agency because there was a posting fee and the Yankees had a high bid, so there was. It was it was not as difficult of a signing for him. I mean, granted, Cashman I guess had to pick a number to win that posting, um, but Messi's yeah, the guy. The internet the seems guy to, to have erased that number because you and I both looked for it independently and couldn't find it. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I was looking for like 15 minutes and I couldn't find that number. Maybe that's because there wasn't. I don't know. It's something weird. But I, there had to have been a posting fee for him. If anyone knows what the posting fee was or what the rule was in 2002 for signing an international free agent, uh, please tweet us because we could not find if the Yankees had to post money for Matsui uh, in December of 02. Yeah, maybe I was I was looking for the number and I couldn't find the number anywhere of what the, what it was. So. Because I know they had to post for Keigawa. Yes, it was a ridiculous amount of money. Like I did th- find it was that like number. Twenty-two million bucks. It was more than that. No, yeah. it was more than that. It was like <laughs> sixty. It was like it was no, higher. It, it was way no. higher. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. I'm telling you, dude, it was high. Uh, Dice, was just K, looking- Dice K set the record and with fifty million. All right, hold on. Now I'm going to look this up as we're talking. You keep talking. I'm going to look this up. So the one thing I um, – there's three things I'll always remember Hideki Matsui for. The first is that Grand Slammy hit on opening day 2003 for the Yankees. I was watching that game live. I stayed home from school to watch it. That was amazing. There's no better way to break in uh, as the Yankees um, – as a Yankee than that Grand Slam. Number two, obviously – is the World Series MVP trophy that he won in 09. And number three, uh, apparently he had an epic porn collection. <laughs> yeah, the, the, he did have one of those. That, that, was, that, came, up, that, came, up, that I, came up in my search as well. Like, that right, was one of the, that's never that going to leave the first my things. mind. You say Hideki Matsui, I immediately think porn. And that's not really a good thing. <laughs> all right, and first of all, Agawa, the number I saw was $46 million, and that was including his contract that he signed also. The posting fee, you're God, right, it was what a waste of $42 million. $46 million, yeah. $46 million. Good for Agawa. He's making a lot of money. Yeah, oh, that dude's still living large. Still living large. Unbelievable. He's 37 years old. He's a freaking year older than me. That's annoying. So the Yankees moved on from Matsui after 09, which I disagreed with because they ended up bringing in Nick Johnson, who immediately got hurt and if you look at Matsui's numbers with the Angels in 2010 they were just as good as they were in 2009 and I think if the Yankees have Matsui as their DH in 09 or excuse me in in 2010 who knows maybe they they don't lose in the uh, ALCS so I think that was a, a miss on Cashman's part not bringing him back for one more year so dare I say it was the best and and uh, biggest miss? Not because he was not, a clutch, not biggest miss, but well, he was I, a clutch hitter. I mean, Matsui, if anything, was a was a big game guy, and he was a guy that he that came through in the clutch. So I mean, maybe maybe that did. Maybe that was a big uh, a big miss. It, Do you know what maybe Cashman's a, a missed biggest, opportunity for a World Series? My uh, I think Brian Cashman's biggest miss um, 
on not signing a guy is Andy Pettit in 04. Yeah, uh, that's definitely up there. Because you, there's no way the Yankees lose to the Red Sox in 04 if they have Andy Pettit on that staff. I wonder how much of that, though, was Andy Pettit as, at the same time. Well, the, I mean, the Yankees got outbid. Well, I know, but the fact of the matter he is... He did want were, to go to Houston, but you're, yes, there you're were other, telling me if the Yankees offered more money than Houston, the player always takes the most money. Yeah, but Andy Pettit's a nice guy. He's, he's I know. Different. He's one of he's my different. best friends. He's different. I talk to him. Me too. I introduced I introduce you to him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, all right. So thank you for the question, Owen. It's always fun to look back at uh, free agents. Um, all right. Last question is a Twitter question from Jack at JTFS underscore on Twitter. Uh, don't know if you've done this before, but I'd like to know where you rank Jeter amongst the all-time Yankees. So in order to answer this question, imagine baseball ceased to exist today. And in a hundred years, there's like a book written about baseball and the Yankees. Try and rank Jeter in the all-time Yankees. So no one is... Nothing is happening in the future, but just what we know of Jeter and looking back, um, where would you rank Jeter in, in the all-time greats of Yankees? Okay, this is this is one of those questions. It's like, you know, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, well, I have like 10 of them because I can't just pick one. I have a favorite comedy. I have a favorite... Uh, I have a favorite like action. I have a favorite drama. It's to me, it's just one of those things that's absolutely impossible to do. So, what what I would say is that he's he's probably top ten. Um, and one, I I'm, I'm of the of the thinking that you can't really even rank eras personally because when you talk about eras, there's so many different things that happened in different eras and the way that the game was and then just the way the world was in different times. It's very difficult to put and compare uh, a player from the you know the 1940s and 50s to a guy who played in the the 80s or a guy who played in the 2000s. So that being said, in my lifetime, he was uh, one and two, one of two. Him and Rivera were the two most uh, you know influential Yankees, I think, in my in my lifetime. But I I can't speak to how you know. The, how influential the guys like Yogi Berra, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Lo, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio. Like, I didn't see these guys play. I see their numbers. They're ridiculous. The amount of championships they won is ridiculous. So I don't know how you can possibly put one above the other. Well, and, yeah, it, it's tough for us because we never watched those guys play. So all we can go on is what was written about them. And um, you're right. You're totally right about comparing eras. I mean, Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, didn't play with any black players. So right. that's that's I know they were the best players of their era. Or Hispanic players, not or Hispanic his- players, exactly. I mean, some of the best baseball players in the world were not playing in the same league as those guys. So I still would rank them higher than Jeter, but it's it's tough when you think about the fact that Babe Ruth was playing when there was no TV and all footage of him as he's running around squatty in fast motion because that's the footage we have of the guy. So it's tough to compare Jeter to Babe Ruth. But um, So you'd rank him in top 10. I would definitely rank him in top 10. I would probably rank him 7th. I mean, <laughs> it's such an arbitrary number, no, though, it's not. because I, I got my why? list. Oh, uh, you've you've got you've got to figure it figured out. Yes, Babe Ruth number one because he's the most famous baseball player ever. Quickly, I need to give a quick Babe Ruth stat because I need to circle it back to, to today's World Series. I don't know if you heard this in the post game, but um, uh, now his name is eluding me. Who's the second baseman for the Cleveland Indians? 
Kipnis. Jason Kipnis. He, so it eluded he, me too. He is the the first guy, the second guy to hit a three-run home run in the World Series at Wrigley Field. The first guy, Babe Ruth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's That's funny. Ridiculous. All Those the stats they, with the Cubs are funny because Chris Bryant became the first Cubs third baseman to hit a home run in the World Series. Yeah, it was funny. They told him that on air, and like his just his reaction was was uh, was pretty entertaining. <laughs> Babe Ruth, number one for me, most famous baseball player ever. Uh, number two, Joe DiMaggio, because he was he literally transcended baseball for the the years that he was in the game. Uh, Fifty six game hitting streak has probably the most unbreakable stat in baseball history. Number three, Lou Gehrig, because uh, he has a disease named after him, and I think that goes a long way. N- number four, Mickey Mantle. Number five, Mariano Rivera, because he's one of a kind. Number six, Yogi Berra, Yogiisms, and number seven, Derek Jeter. Okay, so the guys that I'm thinking of that you left out ahead of him that that could be argued in there are uh, hold on, let me look. Okay, Bill Dickey won eight eight World Series no championships. No one's thinking of Bill Dickey when they think I'm of just saying, Yankees. Eight World Series. Phil Rizzuto. Yeah, no one, no eight. one, no one is arguing that Phil Rizzuto is is better than Derek Jeter. Sorry, really, they're not eight World Series championships. Okay, nobody World is Series nobody is going to say that. Look at their stats. Yeah, he won an MVP. Okay, all right. I, I, a, I disregard Phil Rizzuto. And 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 he's a Yankees uh, uh, great announcer. He's a, a he's, a, he's an icon. He's an icon because of his broadcasting. Um, I'm telling you that you're going to get people who would say that there's a there's a there, your list is it's just that's my my point. I'm just trying to make a point. I understand here. it's impossible, but yes. I think uh, you got any others that I that I can shoot down? <laughs> no, I'll just I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, Whitey Ford, we left off. No, I know Whitey Ford's there definitely. Hank Bauer. I think if Thurman Munson didn't die in that plane crash, maybe we'd be talking about Thurman Munson. Red Ruffing. Get out of here with red roughing. Lefty Gomez. I mean, you want me to keep going? I could Ralph Hauk. We could we could do this for a long time. Yeah, I understand that, but if you ask if you pull like a thousand player a, a thousand baseball fans, Derek Jeter's name is gonna come up before all of those names. Of course you are now, because it's but no, now. If you, if you talk when to, is now now? We're talking in a hundred years from now, remember? This is two thousand one hundred and sixteen and there's been no baseball from here on out. So the Cubs are still looking for the first World Series. Okay, so the fact is is that a hundred years from now, it'll have been a hundred years in front of or Derek Jeter is still 80 years in, uh, if not 100 years in front of guys that like Red Ruffing I don't think Eight. Red Ruffing or um, Phil Rizzuto was ever anyone's favorite player but Derek Jeter oh, was Phil favorite Rizzuto players Phil Rizzuto definitely was Rizzuto definitely was well, Rizzuto played with DiMaggio and then with Mantle Rizzuto was one of those guys who was you did know, I not uh, mention Mickey Mantle and... I think you did no I, I didn't you did. Mickey oh, well, Mantle's ahead of Derek Jeter well I thought you did say him that's a definite. That's a definite. Babe Ruth. Anyway, whatever. The Jordan whole point. <laughs> yeah, did I say Mickey Mantle fourth? I don't remember, man. How, how am I supposed to remember these things? <laughs> uh, it's one of those unanswerable questions. Tweet. The, every, he's anyone up there. Listening, yeah. Anyone listening, tweet uh, at Yankees Podcast with your top five Yankees of all time. And, and no, we'll, we'll get a nice discussion. Get, if you can going. get top ten in the characters, do as many as you can, up to ten. 
You're opening up Pandora's box there. Yes, I am. I want because that's the problem. When you start getting when you start getting up into those weird. Actually, no, that's not true. I think top five is probably because you got to really think for top five. Let's do top five. I can't. I can't do it. Well, that's just, why it's, it's fun. Not that's why possible. it's difficult. We're doing top five. I've, I've decided. Top five. All right, you go. No, we're doing we already, it right now. Oh, I thought you said. <laughs> I thought you were putting me on the no, spot. People are going to tweet us top five. I already did right, my fine. top five. Top five, go. Good. Yeah. Yogi uh, Berra was outside your top five. Yes, uh, yes, and I don't. I think I Just forgot saying. Mickey Mantle. So okay, Mickey Mantle was outside your top five. five. Um, thank you for the Twitter question that is making both Scott and I's brain hurt. Uh, thanks, Jack. Um, submit to the podcast at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. Tweet us at Yankees Podcast and call the voicemail line six four six four eight zero zero three four two. Quickly, Scott. Your Jets ruined any chance at getting an even higher draft pick. Are you upset that they beat the Cleveland Browns this weekend? No, because I know who I want as the quarterback of the future, and he's not a top 10 guy. So oh, my I'm, God. I'm good with it, yeah. You've been doing some advanced scouting? Oh, I did after, yeah. I did, uh, well, it's, I mean, it's a guy that I think people know. It's just a guy that I like and I want badly. And well, I, he's not going to go top 10. It doesn't matter. He's Jim Kelly's nephew, the kid that plays for Ole Miss. Yeah, what could go wrong? I think Chad Kelly. Oh, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's kind of, he's got a, uh, you know, what? He's got a a, a a bad rap sheet. He's one of those troubled youth who came back and now is just, just has a chip on his shoulder and has uh, genetics working yeah, in his favor. I'm sure the Jets organization will whip him into shape. No, he doesn't. know. he's already whipped into shape. That's my point. Oh, he's okay. he's just not going to have enough of uh, of of tape of him being whipped into shape. Uh, for people to draft him in the top 10. Um, do you know why the NFL is struggling? And we mentioned it because, uh, I mean, MLB beat him out in in uh, ratings this weekend, and that never happens. But that's the Cubs. Yeah, it's definitely the Cubs effect. But the, you know the NFL is struggling when the most exciting thing that happened over the weekend was a dildo being thrown on the field at the Patriots-Bills game. Yeah, I didn't even know that until I saw it in the notes, by the way. <laughs> you didn't see that all day today, the videos and the vines being tweeted? No, isn't Vine gone? Not yet. The dildo said uh, Tom Brady's dildo on it. The dildo said... That's the <laughs> Someone wrote Tom Brady's dildo on it. Where did they... they th- so it got actually onto the field? Yes, the, there was an out, out pass to Chris Hogan. He was running for the end zone, and you just see it <laughs> flop onto the field next to his feet. Oh, you're not joking. Like the, the Chris Hogan was actually running an out pass. I thought you meant that the dildo was going to Chris Hogan on an out pass. No, no, I'm not joking. You can't make this stuff up. Chris Hogan, Hogan caught the pass, and a dildo miraculously appears on the field. Wow. I tweeted they know out who, the video do, of it. Do they know who threw it? Who threw it? I mean, there's got to be there's, video of the guy who threw so it, right? There's grassy knoll footage. There's a Pruder film footage, um, and you can't see specifically, but you can see the section. What's, I mean, this guy's got to have a pretty good arm. Corner Girl, of the end got, zone. Someone's got to have a pretty good arm. Corner of the end zone. Ooh. That's a lot of people right Sign there. Sign that guy should be the one. Jets quarterback. <laughs> Maybe it was Chad Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> He's already trolling the Patriots. I love it. Um, oh, it's, and no, that might be. It might have been him. They were playing the Bills. Chad Kelly ne- uh, is the nephew of Jim <laughs> Kelly. Yeah, I made the connection, Scott. <laughs> I didn't. I Just now, I made that connection. That's beautiful. <laughs> Uh, I don't like the fact that he's throwing dildos, though. Any other? Yeah, definitely going to go outside. Definitely go outside. He'll definitely drop to the Jets. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's a Jets uh, first round draft pick waiting to happen. Uh, any other NFL or, or even Yankees thoughts before we get out of here? No, I got nothing else. So, uh, again, guys, tweet top five Yankees to at Yankees Podcast. I'll, I'll uh, retweet some of the good ones um, or any of the crazy ones if you got uh, red roughing in your top five like Scott does. Other than that, uh, thanks for all the mailbags, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.